When faced with uncertainty, people will often assert control of others and take charge of the situation. And the higher the stakes, the more inclined we are to adopt a directive approach. And what I find is most people don't respond well to being told what to do or how to do it. People thrive when given choices and a sense of autonomy. It's a logical concept, yet we often overlook the importance of granting people choices when we desire a specific outcome. And we do this a lot to people with disabilities. So in this episode, I will share my findings on the impact of increasing choice at school and the workplace. And I'll tell you why providing more choice will actually increase motivation and productivity, even with your disengaged workers. And that benefits everyone. Hi, I'm Dr. Teresa Haskins, and welcome to Think Differently, the podcast that challenges the status quo and explores the power of neurodiversity to create a more inclusive and accessible world. Together, we will talk about everything from the value of different perspectives to the limitless potential of human beings. We'll explore how embracing differences can lead to endless possibilities and how you can maximize strengths to make a positive impact on the world. So sit back, relax, and join me as we get ready to think differently. Today, we're gonna dive into the powerful connection between choice and achieving diversity. When it comes to fostering diversity, choice plays a pivotal role because choice becomes this transformative force and it dismantles barriers that hinder their progress. It's because it empowers individuals to bring their full selves at work and school. And it opens the door to a diverse range of approaches and ideas and contributions. Picture this. When we offer choices, we're saying, hey, I trust you. I value your input. I respect your individuality. And more importantly, I recognize your capabilities. I know you're going to make good decisions. And most importantly, you're going to do the work. And when you have this context and feeling, that's when the magic happens. Neurodivergent individuals, just like anyone else, thrive when they have a say in their own lives and in how they approach work and when they're treated with respect. We all do. And I don't think it's hard for anyone to imagine the boost in motivation and engagement when people feel like they have ownership over their work and their decisions. I know how I feel when I'm given the space to do my own thing and I make things happen and how I feel counter to that when someone is barking orders at me, telling me not just what to do, but how to do it. I know which environment I thrive in and I know you do too. And if we can learn how to embrace how to incorporate choice in the workplace or your classroom, you can ignite a spark that helps drive action forward in the direction you want, which is what you're ultimately trying to do with all your over-direction anyway. And how great would it be if you didn't have to direct each movement, if you could give people space to get the work done and just set the stage for people to act successfully? 
And I know this ought to be true because I have implemented choice as a motivator and I have had amazing results. My first documented experience using choice as a motivator was actually in a second grade classroom with about 30 students. Three of them were autistic. In my study, I wanted to determine if increasing choice for autistic children would improve writing outcomes and cooperation in the classroom. So I conducted research to determine if providing choices to the students when doing these writing assignments would improve not only their engagement, but also their attention and overall writing quality. I spent time monitoring the current environment, their engagement, and their limited options. That was the baseline and control to measure against in my experiment. I remember talking to the teacher about the methods I wanted to her employ during the trial, and she was skeptical, if not concerned, that this would result in chaos in her classroom. And she definitely wasn't convinced that this would do anything to improve the students' writing outcomes. So before we go into all that happened, I want you to think about choice and what choice would look like in a second grade classroom. I mean, they are young children after all. And what you need to know is that choice doesn't mean a free-for-all and no rules and doing whatever you want when you want. Choices are controlled through options, and the free agency comes in the end user, the students in this example, picking from those options. This gives us a sense of control and increases buy-in to other tasks where we may have less say-so and no option. One way to think about this framework and how controlled choice works to motivate yet keep everyone working toward a common goal is when you go out for ice cream with your friends or family. Think about it, especially with children. How excited are they to have so many flavor choices? And better yet, they might have a choice on how they get to eat it in a cone or cup. But in the end, everyone still gets ice cream. You controlled that we are eating ice cream together. But your family, your friends, your team, they're energized because they got to pick the flavor and maybe the cone type. And if you ask them, they chose ice cream, when in reality, they only chose the flavor. And that's the key. Giving choices that increase a sense of autonomy, but still lead to the desired outcome. So in this second grade classroom, the choices were to choose from a basket of assorted colored pencils and pens, and they could sit anywhere in the classroom they wanted, by themselves or with a friend, as long as they concentrated on their work. It was the second choice that had the teacher concerned. She felt the first choice was irrelevant in terms of having any sort of impact on writing, yet she agreed to follow the protocol to effectively test the hypothesis. After implementing the test over the course of a few weeks, the teacher and the researcher observers noticed a change. Day one, the kids were hesitant and skeptical of the teacher's intentions, as if this was some sort of test. Many went back to their seats. But on day two, when she offered the choices again, the kids seemed excited. They ran to pick their choice of writing tool and selected a variety of places to attend to their work many choosing the floor. Over the course of the test protocol, motivation to write went up 59% and 
and all of them wrote more sentences in the time period given than during the control standard period. While they were all required to write on the same topics, they were provided a sense of agency that is usually limited to them. The teacher was shocked at how a novel choice, the color of a pen or pencil, and a seemingly disruptive choice, go sit where you want, could have such powerful and impactful results. And to an activity such as writing, that if most of us imagine writing being done, we would be sitting at a table or desk. And most of the students, remember, chose the floor. And what is critical to know is these modifications were applied to all the students. It wasn't just an accommodation to the autistic, but applied in a universal way. And everyone's writing improved. Though the autistic students showed the most improvement. This is because when we look at the advice on how to support autistic children and adults, so much of it is focused on creating consistency and schedules, but we neglect to ensure that the autistic individual is part of the choice in how that routine is designed and implemented. In fact, I find that when people have disabilities, their free agency is usually limited. People talk over and past them and make decisions for them when if given the opportunity, they would gladly and capably make them themselves. And the reason why I feel it is important to discuss choice is that it is usually the first thing taken away when a situation is deemed critical, risky, or uncertain. Yet research shows that the more things are at stake, the more you need others to be able to be actively involved and to have choices in the actions needed to attain the desired outcome. And my inquiry didn't stop with students. I began to notice a similar pattern of control when employees were identified as underperformers. The more they underperformed, the more they were directed and micromanaged. No one performs well when they are dictated to. No one. And it becomes a manager-fulfilled prophecy when they drive an already down employee out of the company. I have been tapped many times to take an underperforming team and transform them. But my secret isn't finding new talent. My ingredient is finding the obstacle stopping a person from being great on a job they gladly signed up for. They asked to be there, and then something happened. We don't have to imagine the boost people get when their opinion and ideas are valued, when they can choose a way that meets their needs. We're all human. We all have the same basic needs. Why would we do to others what we wouldn't tolerate for ourselves? For most employees, they're excited to join a new team, to add to the team, to make their mark, so what happens? Did they lose their talent? No. And if they lost their motivation and drive, is it on the employee? Many leaders like to think so. But it is almost always a leadership or culture problem. And the way to turn that around is to involve the employee more in decisions to create goals and solve problems, which runs counter to what most people do. But I see it like putting out a fire. If the house is burning, the firemen don't run away. They run towards the incident to solve the problem and put the fire out. 
one man cannot stop a burning building. Running away doesn't solve the problem either. It just leaves a pile of debris and ashes. So if you want a strong team, you need everyone to get involved to put out the fires and will them to care about their survival and the teams. And this is great about motivation and helping disengaged employees. But what does this have to do with neurodivergent inclusion and supporting people with disabilities at work? Well, this is all critical because as I said, the disabled population and those with autism are perceived as having deficiencies and therefore are less likely to be given choices and autonomy in how they work and learn. People will become overly prescriptive and directive with them. And therefore, the neurodivergent employee underperforms, is labeled a bad fit, and the cycle continues. But what people need to understand is neurodivergent or not, disabled or not, all people need choice and autonomy to be successful, from toddlers to senior citizens. No one likes to be told what to do. And the one thing that makes anyone act out or disengage is taking away their choices. And yet we do it every day. And why? There are many reasons why people don't give others choices. But the primary reason people are denied choice is a perception of lack of ability, a lack of trust, fear of the unknown, and power dynamics and a need for control. And disabled people are impacted by these areas more than any other demographic. When a person perceives a disabled person as less capable and makes assumptions about their competence, that's called ableism. And ableism is caused by societal biases and negative stereotypes that shape attitudes and beliefs that lead to paternalistic and controlling behaviors. And that limits choice and agency of disabled individuals. And this is not to say that typical employees and people are not limited in their choices too. But when we align how ableism influences behavior, we can understand why this population experiences management styles and treatment that result in unsupportive workplaces that negatively impact their motivation and productivity. And this isn't to say that employees and people with disabilities are not to be given free reign at work and unlimited choices. However, providing options and collaborating with employees, especially those with variance in how they approach work, will support higher engagement, motivation, and productivity. And isn't that what we ultimately want? But there are so many things to unpack to achieve these goals. Because increasing choice isn't about overcoming biased attitudes. It's about leaders building trust in their teams and knowing how to provide the right constructs to enable more autonomy and choice in the workplace while still ensuring accountability and productivity of the team to meet a common goal. So let's go back to the teams I led and the second graders I researched. In each scenario, I was brought in because of a lack of motivation and underproductivity. In each case, the leader tried to increase rules and control outcomes and became overly directive, micromanaging every move and every decision because they so badly wanted the individuals to do what they needed them to do. The problem with this is they took all the agency and motivation to perform out of the people. No one, from toddlers to senior citizens, like I said, liked to be told what to do. So why do you think your employees or students would be different? 
Yes, there is work to be done. But why is there no flexibility in how it can be approached? What if you brought the team together to solve the problems of low morale and low production? What if you asked the employee what was working, what wasn't working, and what would they change if they could? And more so, what if you listened and actually considered their ideas, and even more bold, incorporated them? Every team I have transformed, I've actually just provided more choice and agency to help the team help themselves. I ask them those three questions. What works, what doesn't, and what would you change if you could? And every time I use that information to form the future. And the reason motivation and productivity in my team soared with these reinvigorated, amazing employees that were said to be so underperforming just months prior is because all the changes were their ideas. They led the rework, the redesign, the renewed collaboration, A leader is nothing without a team. People are not puppets. And you can't pull every string and sing every line. But you can empower your team to make choices that will directionally move everyone in the right direction. And you, leader, need to know you're still in control because the leader controls the choices and the employee makes the decisions based on the options. And you can move forward as a collaborative partner. And there we build trust and we reduce fear of the unknown because these changes are made with controls and in partnership in mind. But the control is not about power. It's about guardrails. It's not about how we do things, but why we do them and what we can achieve together. And it comes from a place of valuing and respecting your workers and students as individuals and not your responsible pawns to be controlled. So while this discussion is mostly about leadership, It's a reminder that when we are not confident, when we think less of others, when we feel the need to take the reins or micromanage a situation, these are the times we actually need to trust and depend on each other more, to actually learn from each other, to really listen and determine what it would take to light their flame toward engaging with work again. Everyone feels good when they're recognized for what they do. I don't think anyone strives to be underperforming. We are human. We all see connection and acceptance and respect. So let's give the one thing that will always be a requirement for performance, motivation. And let's motivate in ways that invigorate and inspire our teams. So they don't just feel compelled to do the work, but they want to see the team succeed. And if you care about your people, you will not create an environment of survival and fear but an empowered organization that appreciates people's abilities and listens to their needs and supports their ideas. It takes courage to support people in a way that they need to be supported. And it takes an open, adaptable mind to achieve neurodiversity. There are no guarantees and there will always be exceptions to the rule. But you as a leader have choices too. You can create diverse and inclusive workplaces or you won't. You can squash the spirit out of your employees or enable people to realize their potential, whatever that may be. We all need more choices to help determine a more informed and brighter future. I know what I aspire to do. And when you are ready to take that first step, and after you do, I'll be here with more choices for you. 
I challenge you to try a new way of working and supporting others. And I know you'll be glad that you did. Thank you for listening to this episode of Think Differently. I hope you found our discussion today insightful and thought-provoking. I want to thank AudioWorks Studios for their exceptional production and recording support. Without their expertise and dedication, this podcast would not be possible. If you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to share it with others. Your support helps us to reach new audiences and promote neurodiversity in our world. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite platform so that you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. We look forward to seeing you again soon on Think Differently.